Hi, I'm Tom Pritchard, and joining me today on the Marriage Champions podcast is Todd Bierman. Todd is a senior pastor at Faith Lutheran Church in Grand Blanc, Michigan. Uh, he's married to Heather, and they have two adult children, Hannah and Micah. He's also the author of the book, Handing Out Life, The Simple Way to Rewarding Relationships in All of Life. His passion is seeing strong, healthy marriages and families, and he regularly speaks to groups on marriage and relationships. Um, thanks, Todd, for joining me today. It's great to have you with me. My pleasure. Good to be with you. Uh, after reading your book and uh, talking with you briefly, uh, you know, there's a lot to talk about. And uh, But before we get started on, uh, obviously, the book and some of the principles you talk about there, about healthy marriages and relationships, uh, I also want to get into practical discussion on how that applies. And then, you know, finally, how the church can help. But let's let's start out with your background. Um, tell us a bit about yourself and how you got so interested in marriage and family. Well, I was born into a good Christian family, and I had two parents I could look up to who modeled marriage the way God intended it to be, lifelong commitment, one man, one woman. That started me off on a track. My dad was a pastor um, who didn't push it on us and was a very good model of a pastor that I respected. And instead of pushing away from ministry, drew me into it, even though I didn't want to. Uh, and I went away to college to become a high school math teacher, but the Lord kept nagging at me. And finally I gave in, took Greek and said, uh, made a deal with the Lord. If I do okay in Greek, I'll see about going on to seminary. Loved Greek, excelled at it and uh, went on to seminary and haven't looked back. And since I've been a pastor, I um, have enjoyed thoroughly serving God's people, but I've also seen the need to help families in their homes more and more and uh, marriages in particular. And that drew me into various ways I could learn about it. Uh, I took part with my wife who was, had a background where her parents were active in Lutheran Marriage Encounter. And we went on a weekend with Lutheran Marriage Encounter and really were blessed by that. And uh, actually worked our way up and became a presenting couple for Lutheran Marriage Encounter for a few years. Enjoyed it thoroughly, but it conflicted a lot with my Sunday responsibilities and some other things. I developed some material in conjunction with the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod to help with marriages and families and they were supportive said here's our resources take what we have and go with it because no one here is doing a lot right now with it and uh, that developed into marriage seminars marriage in god's way that my wife and i started to lead locally internationally we worked a lot with Lutheran our ministries internationally and traveled in particular at first to guatemala paraguay panama peru um, etc central south america then it expanded also to south africa and ethiopia and as it's grown it was well received and grew in the united states at the same time and i just found this conflict of uh time of course uh, how to do it all but it then drew me also into connection with Ben Freudenberg and the people at Concordia Center for the Family, which was very focused on strong, healthy marriages and families. And in that partnership with them, it kept growing to the point where I was working with Ben and traveled to Ethiopia with him a couple of times and a team to build up the Ethiopian Evangelical Church, Makaniyesu, where we had a great connection, training pastors and leaders there in that body that's approaching 11 million members now. And uh, they loved my book and were using it and they wanted permission to translate. So it granted them that permission. So now my book is in Amharic Aromo and is in about 10,000 pastors homes in Ethiopia. 
and it's also been translated into Russian and uh, let's see, Spanish and uh, Arabic and a few others that have translated much of that. So it's uh, finding a wide reading throughout the world in spite of what I ever dreamed of when I wrote the material down. Uh, I did that in conjunction with my doctor of ministry degree that I finished in 2012 uh, from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And uh, it was something that was well received here locally, but also internationally. And so I said, Lord, you just use it as you wish. That led Concordia Center for the Family to want me to do more with them. And I am now working with them 10 hours a week on the side while I'm working as a senior pastor uh, as their direct development director in the area of vision casting among um, churches here in the United States in particular. And uh, that's been putting me in association also closely with Concordia Seminary in, Fort, in St. Louis, where I graduated and with uh, leaders in our synod as well to focus on really building up family discipleship where marriages are strong and they help families grow in his way. Great. Well, talking about your book, it's titled Handing Out Life, The Simple Way to Rewarding Relationships in All of Life. Uh, I guess the question is, what is the simple way of rewarding relationships or two rewarding relationships? Well, you go to the one who made it and the one who designed marriage is God himself. And that's pretty well laid out in Genesis where we see at the very beginning, he made Adam and brought to him Eve and said, a man will leave his mother, father to become one and hold fast to his wife to become one flesh. And that passage is just pivotal to me. And I was really put on to it when I um, read the book by uh, Trobish, uh, I Married You. And uh, Trobish did a great job of laying out this triangle of the three elements, leave, cleave, become one flesh from that passage in Genesis 2.24. Uh, but as I looked at it and really delved into it, it led me to a deeper understanding, even more so of uh, that it has these three key principles of love that can translate into any relationship of uh, leaving is self-sacrifice, uh, cleaving is unconditional commitment, and the two become one flesh, it's the physical incarnational care that you have for another. Uh, and all of those are reflective of Christ and his bride, the church, as Paul points out clearly in Ephesians 5. And that passage is so central, I believe, because what I looked at is it was given by God the Father when he created the world, and it was there in place before the fall as the foundation of society, really, before the fall of how a good society works. Uh, and then it was reiterated by Christ himself when he was here on earth in the flesh, saying, this is the same thing. Have you not heard that from the beginning? That's how it was. There shouldn't be divorce. It's not part of God's plan. This is the way it should be. And then it was reiterated by St. Paul in Ephesians 5 under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, saying, in the new era of the new creation, the church period, now that Christ is risen and is victorious, it's still the same thing. This is still the core to our life as the church and for society as a whole. And he repeats the same thing. And in fact, in Ephesians 5, he goes on and says, this is a profound mystery. It reflects the gospel that God would love us so much that that's why Jesus loves us as the perfect husband. And so it's the summation of the gospel 
incarnate in a man, Jesus, who loved us that way, sacrificially, unconditionally, incarnationally. And it's the way that marriages can prosper as well when they reflect that. And it gives us our purpose to reflect Christ and his bride. So it wraps it all up in the way that we grow in the love of Christ in our own relationships and how we witness that to the world so the world can see Jesus of what love is truly about when they see a couple living the way they're supposed to. And it also blesses the children and others in the family in particular. As children grow in a home where they see mother and father doing that, then they can follow the love of Christ by seeing it lived out in their own home. So that model of sacrificial, unconditional, incarnational is the simple way to rewarding relationships if you can practice it. But the key element that also I add in between the middle of that triangle, uh, you've got to have the cross of Christ because we are not Christ. We are not able to do it. We will fail and our triangles will collapse and break down. Therefore, we need the forgiveness of Christ to rebuild and renew and refresh. So if a couple is practicing those three elements with Christ in the middle, then that's the key to rewarding relationships because he renews and refreshes whenever we fail at our triangles. So what does that look like? Uh, how would those three elements manifest themselves in a, let's start with marriage, uh, mm -hmm. marriage relationship. What, what do they look like? In yeah. So of? you have your entrance angle, which is uh, your unconditional commitment that I'm going to enter into this relationship and take the risk to do it. Uh, let me give you a model from when I first met my wife, um, because I say that these elements work at any level in any relationship. So when I first met my wife, I saw her across the room at a camp in northern Wisconsin back when I was taking my youth group to this camp for one week from Minnesota. I was in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota as a pastor, took my youth group to northern Wisconsin for a week of service. She brought a youth group from her church in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and I saw her walk into this room. She looks like a nice girl. And I said, I'm going to make a choice, an unconditional choice that I'm going to go over and say hello, which is stepping out of my comfort zone to choose to go into her realm and make that choice to go to her. And I said, even if she shoots me down and gives me the cold shoulder, I'm choosing to step into that. And then I said, I will sacrifice my own selfishness and that I'm going to go to her and I'm going to humble myself and not just try to stay where it's safe and secure on my side of the room. I'm going to go to her and I'm going to just offer, hey, hi. This is who I am and nice to meet you. And what's your name? That's a risk sacrifice because she could, again, put me down. Uh, and it was also a physical step towards her, physically moving towards her to be in her presence. And so it was that physical move. At that point, it was the beginning of a small triangle where all three pieces were um, present. I chose to go towards her, moved into that angle physically moving toward her and sacrificing my comfort to go out of my comfort zone to go reach to her. And thankfully she welcomed that and our triangle grew a tiny bit that day because she then reached back and chose to say hello and offer her name and to sacrifice her comfort of, do I open up to this guy who I don't even know? And she did. And then physically to reach out her hand and shake my hand in return when I reached my hand. And so that physical touch of first contact, which was starting to build a triangle of relationship. And it grew through that week so that by the end of that week, we actually had talked about a lot of things and through conversation that we didn't expect, but it led to the foundation by, our, by the end of that week, 
I felt that this girl has Christ and all the pieces of this triangle growing the way God intended. Uh, I thought for sure that's the girl I'm going to marry. And she kind of had that working in her heart already by the end of that week. And it just developed then for the next three years where we built the triangle, where we would see each other occasionally. She was still in Michigan. I was in Minnesota. But we would build the physical part occasionally just by seeing each other, spending time together. And when you do the triangle right, it's building it slowly and patiently so that the ultimate triangle is in marriage where you have the total sacrifice of self to unite to another person. You give up the comfort of mom and dad. Home is no longer where they are. It's where your spouse is. You choose to work at it unconditionally, no matter what, I'm not going back. And on my wedding day, I pledge that there's no going out of this. There is no divorce. It's not an option. And I'm committed physically to this relationship to care for the well-being of the other person, which expresses itself ultimately in the sexual union of one man, one woman becoming one flesh. That's to be then the culmination of marriage. Uh, and so you build towards that, though, with not jumping ahead to any angle, at the, not to that one flesh until the very end. And it works pretty well. And I found that it worked great in my own example. And it's worked for others that I've counseled with as well. So that's kind of the idea of the triangle. Well, you also, I, will, I think we'll come back to that. Uh, also, another concept, you talk about the... Um... The thumbs up or the, yep. the hand image. Talk about that a little bit. Well, and that's how this triangle plays out in practical life. You say, okay, yeah, that's a great idea, but how do I do it with all the relationships I have? And what comes first? What's next? And this is something that I took off on my own as I was putting these pieces together that I developed from other places. And it's the illustration of the hand. I liked it with the triangle. I use my hands to make a triangle. I was touching my four tips of my four fingers and my thumb tips together and make a triangle and people can see that and they grasp it. That works well internationally. Then I said, we also have to have our priorities straight as to what relationships are most important. And so I always say thumbs up to Christ. Jesus is our number one relationship. And so you put your thumb up to him and you have to put him above all other things. First commandment talk right there, but you are the palm of the hand and Christ loves you and claimed you in holy baptism, makes you his own and you're his child. He loves you and covers you with his grace. So the thumb can cover the palm of the hand, but then he works through you to pass along his love to the people in your life, which is represented by all the fingers on your hand your number one relationship after christ comes from that passage we just looked at genesis 2 man will leave his mother and father and hold fast to his wife wife is number one spouse is number one relationship after christ and the mother and father you've left they come next in that next finger you don't forget about them but they are second in prioritization where um, you have a strong relationship with your spouse. It gives you a strong, loving relationship so that then you have love to pass on to your parents and to then take care of them and be the caregiver back to your parents as they were for you when you were younger. You do it for them as you grow older because you have a strong, healthy, loving relationship in God's way. And so uh, your parents then come in that next prioritization level. And your children also come at that next level because you are training them to leave you. And if you're healthy as a husband and wife, you have a strength of marriage and love that can train your children up so that then they are prepared to leave you. Your primary duties as a parent are to teach your children to leave. One, to leave you to be united to Christ is their first priority. And then secondly, to leave you to be united to another person if it be God's will for them to marry another human. 
So um, either way, you're training them to leave you. And so they come in that secondary role behind mom and dad at, at that point, which is a hard concept for a lot of people to grasp today because they like to put their children above spouse. And that's where a lot of problems come from. But if you really love your children, you'll take care of your spousal relationship. So you have a strong love that can be passed to your children and equip them for life eternal. So then that's your next level is children and family, all your family by blood or marriage. After that is your church family, everyone who shares your relationship with Christ. The ring finger represents your church family. And they come next just because um, we don't have the capacity to care for everybody the same as our spouse and our own family. Uh, but they are important, as we hear God say, um, do good to all, but especially to the household of believers. Why do they have a priority over other people in your life? simply because they're the ones who will be there to support you and walk with you as that body of Christ and sustain you as you walk with the Lord together. And you as a couple and as a family need that support of fellow Christians who will hold you accountable, support you, pray for you, walk with you in what we call Christian congregations. Another microcosm of that family picture, it's a picture of Christ and his bride played out in a congregational life, pastor caring for the church the way Christ cares for us. And so the church family is important. But then after that, you do have your pinky finger, I say, which is all the other people in your life who don't fall into the upper categories. Anyone who is not walking with you as a Christian yet, um, who you are to reach out to. And when you have those relationships all in the proper order in that way, you have an open hand with all your fingers extended. You can then reach out your open hand and say, welcome to the love of Christ. Let me tell you about him. And so the hand opened up in all those relationships in the right priority is open with the love of Christ to touch the world and hand out life to the world. That's where the title comes from, handing out life. Of course, you can mess it up pretty easily, too. And if you're in love with the world and the things of this world first, it pushes Christ to the bottom and puts the pinky on top. And then when you put that with your hand and the pinky's on top and the thumb's at the bottom, you have a hand that pushes away people around you so it's like a wall to the world and that's what it does it drives the world away it sets up walls against the world and you're closing yourself out from them and there is no love to give to them but instead it's pushing them away and in fact if you close in on your relationships you say i don't care for spouse i don't care for children family it's all about me and church i don't need it i'm it's me or the world forget them jesus i don't know if he's even there you bring all those fingers in and you've got a fist, which is where our world is in a lot of ways right now. If you don't care about those other relationships and it's all about me, it's a self-centered way that leads to hostility to the world around you. And it's that fist that opposes the world and strikes out in anger and bitterness. And we see that rampant in our world right now. People who are so self-centered about my happiness, what I want, what I get, brings all those relationships in on yourself and leads you to hostility with the world. So that hand illustration works also quite well for any age and any culture internationally. And it's been such a heartwarming thing when I've been translating this with another guy in Ethiopia, for say, and all the participants are nodding their heads and, and doing it themselves with their hands. And they're agreeing that, yes, I get it. And especially that has been so valuable for church workers, which is a primary focus I have, because so often these church workers put the church above spouse and family. And mm -hmm. so that third finger, the ring finger often takes precedent. And again, if you put that on top, it forces the fingers to the, the forefinger and the other finger to the bottom. And it also pushes Christ down too, because you're actually ignoring those relationships that Jesus said are important. That picture of Christ and his bride, you're not reflecting it in your own household. 
how can you teach it to your congregation if you're not living it yourself? And a lot of these pastors around the world, right here in America too, say, yeah, but I'm supposed to put the first priority on my church. I'm called to serve the church, but not to the neglect of your spouse. It doesn't mean time-wise necessarily that you always give more time to your spouse. I'm not saying that. But as far as the priority in your heart, your spouse has to have the higher priority because that's where you're reflecting Christ and his bride. And it's a visible picture for you to show to your church too. And they'll pick on it, pick up on it right away if you are not taking care of your own relationship with your spouse. And it will harm your witness to them of, well, if the way Christ loves me is the way a husband loves his wife. And I look at you the way you love your wife. If that's the way Jesus loves me, I don't want anything to do with Jesus because you neglect your wife all the time. You, you ridicule her in public, even by the way you treat her, ignoring her sometimes. Um, I don't want anything to do with that. So it's been an eye-opening revelation to a lot of church workers that, wow, I'm actually doing harm to my ministry by putting the church above my wife and children. So I do need to take care of them. I do need to build those relationships. I stress that it doesn't mean I spend all my time at home with my wife and kids. That can't be. But in my heart, they are above. And if anyone asks me, who's your number one relationship after Jesus? Wife, right away. Easy to say. My number one finger is to, to my wife. And if it was a question of, do I go to the hospital, see this member who's sick in the hospital or my wife who's home gravely ill right now? I'm going to be home with her. And I'll send someone else, one of the lay people I've trained, go and take care of so-and-so in the hospital. That's why we equip the full body of Christ to be part of it. It's not up to me alone. There's a whole body of a congregation together to take care of one another. That's how we come together and cover for one another in times of crisis like that. Well, how do you keep those all relationships in balance or have the right priority? I mean, I suppose you could say you could do the first four, but then exclude people in the world. Uh, we're not going to engage them, but that wouldn't have a balance there as well. So how do you keep on top of that? It's daily prayer going back to it. I start every morning with that time and prayer with the Lord of keep me focused on you first. So uh, my every day starts with an hour, hour and a half where I do my exercising and walking the dog, where I'm talking about things with the Lord, putting him first, get that in order. So take care of that first, time-wise and um, heart-wise. He's on top. My wife and I have uh, prayer time in the morning and uh, eat some breakfast quick together. I make a priority of that so that she knows she's a priority and I'm touching base with her. But often she'll say, so I'll see you tonight at bedtime because I know today you've got a full agenda. She understands and respects it, but she's on the page with it. She knows about it. So we get on the same page and we regularly connect our calendars. She sees my calendar. She knows what's going on. And I'm open and honest with her what's going on so that um, if she has a priority thing, she can get it on my calendar. And I'm not afraid to tell people I've got an obligation then. They don't need to know that I'm going out to lunch with my wife. But she said, this is an important one to me. This is an anniversary of when my grandma died. I need some time with you. That's my priority. And I put it on the calendar and use the calendar to my advantage to make sure that priority is there. Same thing with children. Um, they get their priority and make sure that they have that place. And when my kids were younger, I scheduled time with them regularly in my schedule and worked around it and, and guarded that meticulously so that they would keep that place of importance. Um, and then the church family knows that they are a priority and I do care for them, but they also respect that I'm 
ready to welcome the newcomer and the outsider immediately. It's building margin into life to allow for the other relationships that will arise as you go. That's one of my mantras too, is building margin into your life. So you have time for the relationships that Jesus brings across your, your plate that you didn't plan on. And that's where those pinky people come into play all the time. I allow margin for the pinky relationships to grow. So uh, every day I tell people, hey, if, if we're not in anything serious here and um, we're having a meeting out at lunch together and I see this person across the room who I just see, I, I, the Lord's telling me I got to go talk to him. They know I'm going to get up and go talk to them probably if it's nothing urgent that we're dealing with. That's part of our priority. And it works out very well where we see we're living what we're talking about of handing out life. So there is time for it and you make time for it, but it's keeping your schedule according to your calendar and guarding those higher priorities, not in quantity so much as quality quite often. Mm. You, you've alluded to it, but let's turn to the marriage or dig a little deeper. And you've mentioned a couple of things, but what practices do you think are important for a marriage relationship to be healthy? You talk about scheduling things, making priority, you know, in prayer and other things, but are there certain things that you think these are certain rhythms or practices which would be helpful for couples to practically implement? Yeah, absolutely. When in our marriage seminar, we talk about those things that reinforce those three areas of self-sacrifice, unconditional commitment, and physical care. And so if you model your um, life after those three elements, the self-sacrifice, I regularly go to my wife and uh, sacrificing my own pride and selfishness. Every day we practice confession and forgiveness together. Before we go to sleep, and we are fortunate we have a schedule that allows us to go to sleep at the same time quite often. And before we go to sleep, I review the day and anything that I have done wrong that has offended her, it's going to be confessed before I can go to sleep and her the same toward me. And so that confession where I open up and share, please forgive me, not just, I'm sorry, it wasn't a big deal, but I'm sorry. No, it's putting the ball into her court. Please forgive me. I was wrong in X, Y, and Z. And then I wait for her to respond. It may lead to a long discussion, which I may say, okay, I'm not going to get the sleep I expected. And my day is going to shorten tomorrow. That's okay. Because uh, this is priority right now. We've got to work through this before I can do anything else. Then I seek her forgiveness. And when she understands and we're on the same page, then she can grant that forgiveness in Jesus name. And I do the same for her when she makes confession to me. That is powerful and has been so essential to our relationship. I tell couples that all the time. Confession and forgiveness is your number one key tool to use to make sure you're on the same page. And that comes along with the self-sacrifice to make that confession and forgiveness with each other. Another key tool to show your choice to love each other is to open up your heart in prayer together. And I stress the importance of open prayer, out loud prayer together. We practice back and forth prayer out loud every day. And that also comes along with that in the morning and at the end of the day where um, I'll start off the prayer and say, thank you for this day. She comes in with her, her part and go back and forth between us. It takes practice. It's hard to do. We force couples to do it in our marriage seminars. We say, sit face to face, take each other's hands, physically contacting one another. And husbands, as a representative of Christ, whether you like it or not, you're going to say the first part. And then wife, chime in. Just go until you can't go any further. And even if you say, I don't know what to pray, Lord, show me what to pray. That's a great way to start. And so getting in that habit of daily prayer 
it opens up your heart to God, intimacy with God, intimacy, and opens up your heart to the other person at the same time. It's kind of like talking with God with your partner listening in. So that daily prayer out loud is an essential element. Then the third part with the physical care, um, that is so important to spend time together physically in the presence of one another and to talk openly about your physical relationship and not see it as a dirty thing that you don't talk about, but it's a gift from God and a tremendous gift that not, must be nourished and taken care of. And ultimately, there should be that goal of um, sexual intimacy between a husband and wife that takes work, communication, uh, but you talk about it. And we give lots of tools when we do our seminars of lead questions. So we have a whole page that they go through in our seminar that then we encourage them to talk about privately together of what it takes to have a close, intimate, physical relationship. Um, so those are key elements right there following the model of the triangle. Uh, what about date nights? Do you plan time together where you're just together or? Absolutely. Uh, everyone knows that um, I have a regular date night with my wife. Uh, the church knows it's on my calendar and they respect that for the most part. Uh, when we had younger kids, the kids knew it too. Uh, it started out with couch time when they were toddlers, 10 minutes, mom and dad. We don't care if you're climbing on our heads and running around the room screaming, we're not going to turn and look at you because it's mom and dad time. So it's establishing that priority, mom and dad, kids learned it and they came to respect it. And then as we grow older, mom and dad have a date night and the church knows they have a date night. And ours was Thursday night when we were younger, it worked out well. There weren't any scheduled activities at church that we had to be involved in. We preserve that time weekly. Then there's also the quarterly time we would try to have where we would go away together for a night or two, a retreat, a seminar, et cetera, if we could. And uh, that was a regular part of our relationship. There's also um, the scheduling time that we would have that's separate from date night. And that we would do basically every morning, we would have calendar check, make sure we're on the same page. We're in agreement with one another and prayer time together. So there's the daily check-in, the weekly date time, which we put aside the work and enjoy time with each other, focus on each other. And if there's necessary talk about some big issues, we can fit that in there too. Um, but then there's also the quarterly, let's go and reboot and refocus and renew in the Lord. So those are some key elements that we had. We also picked up from Ben and Jennifer Freudenberg there. Um, they had a little routine of 10 second kiss, um, 10 second prayer and blessing and uh, do that before you go out the door. Kids knew that dad would always greet mom that way before he left at the beginning of the day. And that was an important part of setting that priority clear. So, so uh, going back to confession and forgiveness, would you just kind of practically kind of think, reflect personally, okay, is there anything going on that I need to ask for this? Or did you have kind of a formal time where you looked at that? Or is that that came up when you realized I needed to confess something? Um, the way to practice that that has developed over the years for us is, each of us reviews the Ten Commandments in our head as we go through our daily prayer time individually. And as we check off going through the Ten Commandments, we realize, oh, Lord, forgive me for not putting you first in this and this. And we, as we go through, it also picks up those things of, hmm, I didn't do this for Heather today. I didn't do this for her. Uh, um, I need to remember that and go back to her. Or as it comes along, sometimes it has to interrupt life because it's right there in our face where we know we've offended and it needs to be dealt with immediately. So that's the easy ones got to hit those head on right away as much as possible. Sometimes there's the cooling period, but as much as possible before the sun sets on that day, we deal with that issue. 
Um, so that's reviewing Ten Commandments, um, helping each other, which means also sacrificing your pride that I can take the, the rebuke from my spouse and realize when they say, hey, this hurts me, this is offensive to me, um, I feel this way. It's not a judgment against me that she doesn't say, you need to stop doing that. It's instead when my wife comes and says, I have been offended by this, it hurt me in this way, and that my feelings were not respected or my wishes were ignored or whatever. Um, so that helps. And I've learned to understand that I, I need to listen to this and humble myself and see where I have come up short. And then I offer my forgiveness. So. Okay. Uh, and then the prayer time, do you, you say you do that in the morning and the evening together? Do you mm -hmm. have kind of a, just thank the Lord and kind of go pray what comes to mind? Or do you have a more of a process to that? Um, we, built it into the life with the kids where we modeled it together and it worked very well. The acts outline we like to use adoration, confession, Thanksgiving, suppl supplication to the Lord. And where um, we would do that, each of us in the family would take our turn. And uh, so I would start off as father in the family and praise you God. And I ask you to forgive me for this today. Forgive me for hurting so-and-so for doing this, for the things I neglected, but I thank you that you have blessed me this day with this and this and this, and now help me. I've got this tomorrow, et cetera. So right there, I just covered all four in about 20 seconds. I could do it. And the kids learned that same model and uh, it worked very well throughout the child rearing years. And it has spilled over still in our adult life. We follow that basic outline if we ever need something to prompt our thoughts and prayer. But generally, it's not too hard to find things to pray about uh, that we, we know what needs to be taken to the Lord and shared with one another in prayer. Okay. I know you've, uh, as we talked, uh, you've done counseling or at least discussed with couples who are come to you with struggles and difficulties what would you say are are there just uh, a couple things that stand out as the reasons couples start getting into problems, having problems? Are there a few things that are key elements that you see? Yeah, um, the thumbs up illustration helps immensely. Uh, I just like to assess where's your thumb at? Do you have Christ as your first priority? And when either one or both are not putting Christ first immediately affects the relationship. I use that as a, an assessment tool whenever I meet with couples or I'm doing counseling with individuals. I'm thinking in my head, how's their thumbs up working? Is the priorities, are the priorities in place? Within 10 minutes, I can tell you where their hands messed up, where the priorities out of place. And it works. It plays out all the time where I'll realize, oh, she's putting her children above her husband and she's thinking that they're more important and um, and her husband's being ignored and neglected and he's getting mad and ignoring them in return. And so he's going off with uh, the people of his pinky at work because she's going off with the kids and they're both leaving Christ entirely out of the picture because their mm -hmm. priorities are on different things. And then I can talk it through with them and help them to see that perspective and lead them to confession forgiveness so that's been a huge tool that has worked very well in assessment of where things are missing um it's the selfishness that creeps in root cause sin it's about me what i want what makes me happy we hear that mantra from the world all the time what makes you happy it's all about you whatever have it your way what, what makes you feel good um, sexual uh, relationships. What makes you happy? What makes you feel good? Express yourself any way you want to. It destroys the way God intended where true love is based on 
giving up what I want for the good of the other person and con and committing to that other person. So, mm -hmm. well, let's let's turn a bit to the church and um, you know the. I think in most churches, you know, they have youth programs, children's program, maybe seniors, uh, but they don't oftentimes have marriage. In fact, the Barna survey found that 85% of churches spend zero ministry dollars on marriage and less than a quarter actually have an active marriage ministry. Um, why do you think that is? Why is marriage maybe not a higher priority in the church? Well, I think because the devil wants to hit, keep us from doing it, and he gives us lots of reasons to ignore it and distract us, and it's one of the hardest things to deal with. What's your hardest relationship to deal with? Your spouse, because you're with them the most, and it's the one that is most intimate. They know you the most. So also in a church family, marriages are one of the hardest ones to deal with because they're so fraught with um, touchy subjects, and um, the church, I'd rather ignore this, that this this couple that we know is living together and they're not married and we don't want to tread on their toes because that will offend that key family or whatever. And, yeah. and we are scared to touch on that area because it's so tender. And it also moves into the whole realm that's so popular today with same sex identity and all the different aberrations of what marriage is supposed to be. You're speaking against something that's very volatile in the eyes of people in our world because it's so precious to us. It, the devil knows that that's where we're vulnerable. Um, and he builds on that and says, it's your identity. It's what makes you happy. And no one has a right to tell you what you should do to make you happy. And the church has grown scared to say anything because they don't want to upset those people when they have a different view on it. And that is very self-centered. Uh, but the church needs to courageously stand up and say, no, it's not right. It's not the way God designed it. It's not the way he intended it. Jesus had to rebuke those Pharisees and Sadducees who came to him. Hey, Moses allowed us to get a certificate of divorce. What do you say? No, that's not right. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Divorce is not an option. That wasn't real popular. We know how the Pharisees and Sadducees liked Jesus for saying such things. Um, and we expect it in the church today, too. Uh, I work with couples that come in and say, you know, we want this and this and this. I said, you think that's what God intended? And it will be unpopular sometimes. And it is hard to say it. Um, but if we stress it, it it's pays off in the long term immensely, especially for the generations that are watching, the next generations. Mm -hmm. You know, one thought I've, at least my thoughts on what I see sometimes happening in churches is pastors are obviously key they're the leader of the church and sometimes they're the gatekeeper into the church for programs mm -hmm. and ministries and i've wondered oftentimes if pastors are so busy and to to see marriage as a maybe uh, starting another ministry they say i've already got my hands full uh, they're maybe a bit afraid of controversy as you mentioned mm -hmm. uh, maybe they don't know what to do and i wonder also if and some have told me that many, you know, just like all of us, we all have struggles in our marriage and challenges, but pastors do as well. And yet yes. they, they don't feel like I can, um, you know, how can I promote the, the glories of marriage if my own marriage is? Exactly. Maybe talk to that in your perspective on that. Oh, absolutely. You're right on track with that. Um, and we teach that as we've done seminars uh, around the world. And as I've worked with Concordia Center for the Family, that's a big mantra we have is it starts with you. 
the church worker himself has to get his own life in order if he's going to minister to others. And they're scared to do that because I know the problems and I can't address it because I'm ashamed or I'm embarrassed or I don't know where to start. Um, but we've got to get that first household um, priority relationship in order if we're going to minister to others. Um, and as far as giving the resource, we've got the greatest resource of all. It's the forgiveness of Christ. Practice it in your home and be vulnerable enough to say, I'm not perfect. And so we're not asking pastors and church workers to be perfect in their marriage. We will not be. In fact, if you're modeling to your church the way you should, you show we are broken in our relationship. My wife and I are not perfect in our marriage. We are just as messed up as the rest of you are. But we flee to Christ every day together for his forgiveness. And then we pass that on to one another. And we keep building our triangle. When our triangle starts to collapse down a little bit, I'm not as sacrificial as I should be. I'm not committed like I should. Christ forgives. And I start to rebuild my triangle back up again. So that triangle is constantly in flux and it's only by the grace of christ that we keep it upright and growing and that's what's modeled to the church but pastors are afraid to do it because where do i start what do i do start with that confession of forgiveness with your own wife uh, with your own husband you know, church workers focus in your own home first and yeah that is you're right on track that's why so many pastors don't do it and i've picked that up especially in my seminars when i was working in ethiopia pastors all across the board. How can I teach this when I know I've neglected my wife and my wife, my kids, one pastor came to me in tears after I shared this concept in a seminar. He said, I have failed and my children don't even know who I am. Literally one of my children, I came home from being away visiting in the, the field because I have to go away for weeks at a time. And I came home and my youngest child ran to mama scared because forgot who I was and all and and I that is I just feel so convicted for that I am so wrong and um I need to put my family higher and uh I will start with that you know and that conviction that to be vulnerable with Christ well turning to the church then what would you say um would be the ideal approach or a model for marriage and family ministry what uh, what would a church practically do to make that more of a priority and actually work that out or embed that in the life of a church? Yeah, um, to start with, first of all, the shift in paradigm of understanding the importance of marriage and family at every level in the church. And it is that new mindset of instead of church-centered, family-supported, turn it around to home-centered, church-supported. And Ben Freudenberg talked a lot about this in his family-friendly church model that he presented in the past. And it's a great concept because if we're so many times the church of the past has been church-centered, home-supported, that you come here and we'll take care of you, we'll raise your kids, we'll bring up little Christians, we'll do it all for you. It doesn't work. It's impossible. Who's with those kids 24-7? Church maybe gets a couple hours a week to be able to shape them, that's not going to change those kids and influence them, even the marriages. Instead, you turn it around home-centered. That's where the real discipleship takes place, church-supported. The church will give you resources to do that. And so I go back to a teaching of what family discipleship is all about that shifts this mindset. It's a uh, family discipleship happens when it's Christ's gifts creating faith 
in and through families with church support. So Christ's gifts are given to the families, uh, his word, his sacraments, his gifts that are given to create faith inside of our hearts. And then that new faith helps us to grow as a family together and then to pass that on to um, others around us. And the church continually supports us in that. So if the church can see itself as an equipping uh resource to help strengthen the families where the real discipleship takes place in the home. It's that shift in mindset first and foremost. And when that, sh that shift can happen um, through looking at the biblical teachings on it, looking at Matthew 28 that talks about as you're going along, make disciples, unpack that passage. I've been doing a lot of teaching on that lately. So get the basic Bible study of priori priority on Christ's gifts, changing the home. Uh, and after you get that shift in mindset, here's some resources to help you retrain how your ministry can focus on the home with the support of the church. And there are a lot of other tools then that can be utilized by churches. I'm writing a Bible study and study series called Life in God's Way that's built on these concepts of thumbs up and the, the triangle uh, that applies to every aspect of life. It's a simple, basic tool that a, a church could utilize where they can study it for a series of eight to 15 weeks, depending on how many of the elements they want to use, where for that eight-week period, they go through one of these lessons each week together as a congregation to study what God's teaching is on how to put priorities in order his way. It'll shift the mindset. And then as they start to reprogram their brain to realize it's not someone else's job to raise my kids, it's my job to shape them as Christians. And I've got to take care of my spouse first. I can't expect someone else to make our marriage better. It's us working together. So we shift that mindset. Then we start to give them resources to do it better, uh, such as uh, Roger Thimer and Kids Count Ministry out of Omaha, Nebraska, put together faith legacy steps that we've utilized. That's a great tool that helps raise up families through the steps of life. Um, baptism, your early days in school, your first Bible, um, learning to communicate. Does the kids start to date? Does the kids are going away to college? It's through all those milestones of life that you put it into the hands of the Lord and give families resources for those milestones of life, those stepping stones of life. That's a great resource. Uh, resources like, uh, things from family time ministry, Kirk Weaver and his crew, the good materials to help you with those young children and shaping faith into their hearts. Quick resource that I can use just a few minutes. Uh, my youth director in my congregation where I'm at now, um, uh, Joel Zander is a great guy and he has this little um, slogan he uses all the time. Um, learning of Jesus just a little bit every day um, by focusing on him, you know, just a few minutes every day. Uh, learning to walk closer with Jesus just a few minutes every day. So instead of the huge, we've got to change our whole life today. Just today, we're going to just do it a few minutes more. As we're driving to school today, we're going to talk about our faith. And here's a few questions to talk about as you're going to school today. Or as you're sitting together for that meal at McDonald's in between running from one event to another, here's some discussion questions you can talk about together. Or little resource tools that can be used in life instead of fighting life help grow just a little bit every day. So giving families those kind of resources a little bit at a time. And as a congregation gets those concepts and the basic tools start to shape a new mindset and a hunger for more, 
We also, um, through Concordia Center for the Family, have a resource called the Faith and Life Survey, which is a very extensive survey that a congregation can go through together to assess how are we doing in reaching the families of our congregation? Are we growing closer to the Lord? And that is an excellent resource that will take you into every aspect of your life as a congregation. And afterwards, it kicks out a very thorough report that the pastor and his leaders can then look at and self-evaluate where should we start first? Which area needs the most help in our congregation? Maybe it's marriage ministry. So we need to start some real intensive ministry with our marriages right now. Or maybe it is uh, this aspect of our life. It's the the youth age from um, seventh grade through high school. They're really hurting in our congregation. That's what everyone sees as a real gap. So you can self-assess, find your gaps, and then start to program towards that. Um, that also helps you reassess how do we operate as a congregation in our functioning, our church board, our council. Are we church-centered or home-centered? That survey really pulls that out pretty clearly. Whenever I meet with my boards and stuff, I always will pull them back to, is this putting Christ first, spouse second, family, the thumbs up. They've been trained now. It's part of our thinking as a congregation. We're not perfect at it, but I can sit in a board meeting and I hear them arguing about the color of the carpet and blah, blah, blah. And I'll just stick my thumb out in the middle of the table, thumbs up. And they look at it and say, all right, yeah, this is not about Christ at all, is it? This is worrying about stuff down at the pinky level. So let's get back and pull it back. And, you know, the longer we're here and I'll sit there for two hours at this silly discussion and I'll hold up my middle fingers What's your spouse doing right now? Where do you think you should be right now? We've spent enough time on this. It's time to get home and be with your family. This is not, not the priority. Your family's a higher priority than these kind of arguments. So shut this off. Let's move on. It can help you in time evaluate and priority evaluate as a congregation. So it works into the life when you start to get these concepts. So it affects every area of ministry, not just a silo of ministry. So you know, I said way too much. Sorry, but no, you know. no, that's great. It's got a, a lot of food for thought there. I, I'm just thinking, <clears throat> I remember one friend said to me, you know, uh, the words that you always hear is we've always done it this way. Mm -hmm. And what, how would practically things look differently if churches were firing on all cylinders on the family centered approach would, um, Sunday school be differently? Would we do Sunday school? Would, um, you know, what the activities that have developed youth programs, right? I mean, do we just continue those as they currently exist? Or would they take different forms? Would new yeah. things develop? Well, I should finish up on what I was saying about after that faith and life survey that I mentioned, Ben Freudenberg then has some very good materials that can take you really deep into how reprogramming your whole life as a church around family discipleship home-centered. And using a lot of that will affect all those other areas of ministry in the church. And he has material to address it all. And then a congregation that has the courage to go in through that deep training, he can lead them through that or provide facilitators who can help a congregation do that. But uh, the way it plays out is instead of saying there is one set way to do it, instead you pray about it. Is this fostering the thumbs up prioritization and that's home-centered church supported it will look different in different locales and different cultures different settings sunday school that question sunday school may be the ideal for a congregation where we are equipping them and it works well the parents are being equipped in their setting the family the kids are being equipped then they take resources home and do it together in the home so it's not just sunday school at church but it's 
that's a fueling depot where I then go and with my resources, share it on in the home life later. And so it's a, a new attitude. Instead of Sunday school being the end all where I dump my kids and they take care of it all. This is just a place where my kids are getting some fuel for themselves and I am getting fuel for myself. And then we go home and we pour into one another as a family throughout the week. So it's a new attitude of how you do Sunday school. Same thing with the fellowship activities. When we come together for a potluck dinner, just to go and eat some food and go on our way, uh, we're learning how to interact. And the parents are sharing stories and encouraging one another. The kids are learning to play together and get along with one another and fellowship around food, which is important too. We should be having family meals together. That's a huge area I see that's missing in our families together, sitting it down and eating a meal together. That's part of incarnational love. And modeling that as a church, we sit down and take the time to have some food together. We say, well, that's just a convenient thing. Lutherans like to eat together. There's a good reason for that because you have to sit and talk and listen to one another around food and taking the time to do it, to prepare the food, to talk around the food, valuable. And uh, it reshapes your whole way of life as you look at your congregational life being a model for what all of life should be. Yeah, no, you've got some thoughts generated in my mind um, that maybe we view church differently in terms, like you say, Sunday morning, There, it's a training mindset or we're equipping as opposed to you come to us and we do everything for you. I wonder if that's one of the, the big shifts. I remember a, a pastor, a friend of mine, who uh, was invited to be a part of the Lions Club or I think or uh, Kiwanis or something. And he, he said, well, when is it? Well, I can't do it then. And he found out he was so busy with all just church activities, which are obviously good, that he had no engagement with the community. So he started to set time aside. Mm -hmm. So I want to be able to build bridges Right. not to neglect his church. And it just struck me that, yeah, we need to move away from just kind of an inward focus to an outward focus, maybe. Yeah, if we are going to talk about that hands out, handing out life to the world, and we take that seriously, that I'm here to reach out to those pinky people. I use the illustration with that hands up illustration. And I'll tell people, okay, stick your thumb up. Now point out your forefinger and your middle finger and your ring finger. Keep your pinky tucked into your palm try to do that it's hard to do that pinky it hurts to kind of keep your pinky stuck on your palm when all your other fingers are out so that's intentional i think god did it that way for this illustration you want that pinky to come out and it should you should be reaching out to the world when you got all the other things in place our love wants to express itself it wants to reach out to the world so you do need to schedule that outreach to the world as part of your life too. And it's a model of the whole picture. Christ came for others and he came for us. We are there for others too. And we want others with us for eternity. So that outreach is intentional. I've scheduled time in my life as a congregation, as a pastor, even though it's terribly busy, I say, I'm going to the Chamber of Commerce meeting on this Friday. That's the regular monthly meeting. And that's a key time for me to go and interact with a lot of the community leaders and have built some relationships. Um, just had someone at preschool drop off this morning, say, hey, I saw your picture in the paper. That was really cool because I was involved in an organization, um, our outreach for the community where uh, I'm the chairman of this organization where area churches and groups come together to help our community. And we paid off the school lunch debt for all the public school system. Um, 
a bill of over $3,000 that we came together to pay that off so the kids would not have a debt for their lunches. And that was an outreach to the community. They say, wow, you actually do care about people. That's pretty cool. An open door conversation. Uh, this morning at the preschool drop-off, it was a family that isn't active in a church, but they saw that because they go to the school and it's just, that's really cool. And I'm just, I didn't build on it and say, yeah, now you should come and learn about Jesus for me. No, I didn't jump on that, but it's building a relationship that can grow over time and, and fostering that. So those community contacts. I've talked about these topics of the thumbs up at Chamber of Commerce meetings. They've invited me to be the public speaker and I present it in a little bit different way. I don't hit it as hard, but I do say every one of you needs to evaluate your spiritual life. What's my priority? What is my thumb? Uh, for me, it is Jesus Christ. I'll be blatant about that. You've got something that's your thumb. It could be you yourself that's rolled up into that position where you are God of your life. And how's it working for you? Is it taking care of all your other relationships? If it's working right, that will spill over to your other relationships and they will work well. Are your other relationships working well? And, and I get those questions and I'll see people. And I did that early on in a chamber meeting and I had a realtor in town. She came up to me later and said, how dare you get into my life like that? How did you know that those are my struggles? And I just can't believe it. And, and I used to go to church as a Catholic as a kid, and I haven't gone for years because I don't need that church stuff. But now you've made me feel terrible. And I got to talk about this. When are we going to lunch? <laughs> and uh, so it was confrontational. She was affected deeply, angry, but also intrigued. And I just patiently listened a lot. And it's developed over the years to a very strong relationship with this woman who is a great Christian woman now who joined our faith fellowship and is practicing her faith in the world. Uh, so that's a good example of putting that pinky out to the world. Well, maybe go a bit deeper on that in, in the workplace, the marketplace, you know, it struck me people don't go to church now. I mean, there's becoming kind of a divide and, yeah, we need to go to them in some respects, obviously, and like you say, inviting them to church eventually. But how how does that your model play out in employee, employer, employee, employee relationships, you know, from a practical standpoint, would you say? Yeah, it's has application all across the board in there. It's very beneficial. Um I have a Bible study every Wednesday morning with a group of men and we get on at 630. Some of them jump on while they're driving on their car to work and they'll listen in as they're driving, chime in as they're able to. But we spend an hour together and we share our highs and lows for the first half of that time together. And a lot of it is in the workplace. I had to fire this employee who was um, cheating at work and or whatever. And we talk about it together. Okay, how does your faith impact that? Uh, this week, an example was, yeah, my parents in their business had to fire an employee who was just terrible and hurting other people. And now they're, they're staying quiet about why they fired it. And that's bringing attacks from their friends of that person who can't understand why that person should have been fired. And they've actually been taken to court and they have to use lawyers now. And it's just terrible, awful situation. We said, keep Christ first and all that. And we'll pray for that. And yeah, I will. And is your marriage still strong? Yes. You've got what matters. You've got the pieces in place and you'll ride through this. And I was talking with that same family that was afflicted a little bit later uh, after that conversation. And they said, yes, we know we're going to make it through because we still have Christ on top. We still have our family and its priority. And that stuff from the pinky, it hurts, but it's not ruin us. 
it's it's secondary and we know even if we lose all of our finances through this we still got christ on top we still got our family intact and it'll play it's it's it'll play out in a good way and god will reward it in the end where those who really know them will still be loyal to them and and they're seeing that happen already that the other employees are so thankful that they stuck with their integrity and stood by what they were supposed to. So that plays out in real life in the business world. Another guy who's uh, part of the big three auto industry that's on the verge of strike here today as we're recording this, and that's shaking up their life. We don't know how we're going to make ends meet. It's financially, it's going to be devastating if we're unemployed for the next 10 days and um, I don't know where it's going to go, et cetera. But we still got Christ on top. And we're talking about it as a husband and wife. And we're on the same page that this isn't going to change our outlook on life. We're going to keep the priorities clear and we'll just look for whatever God will provide. Um, and so we're trusting him and we know the faith family, the church family is there for us and will help us through this as they have in the past. So we're not giving up hope, um, even though it's tough. So practical um, daily living, it works as you get those priorities in their right place. What about the triangle? How would the triangle play out in a work setting? You know, the sacrifice. Sure. Okay. Um, yeah, you have a triangle where I go into my workplace and my boss, he's a nasty guy and he has no respect for Christ and he shows that regularly. Yet, I sacrifice my opinion of him and my desire to punish him. I sacrifice that and I leave that in the hands of Jesus because it's not about me. He's the judge. And he says, vengeance is mine. Okay, so it's not my place to punish this guy. I'm honoring the fourth commandment still. So I'm still going to honor this guy. And I will not speak ill of him. I will do my job the best that I can for the good of the company. I will be the best employee that I can for Christ's sake to honor him. And I will choose to do this even when it's hard, unconditionally. I'm going to do it even when he's an idiot, even when he's hurting me. Um, I'm going to do it even when I know he's immoral and he's wrong. And I will stay with it as long as I feel obligated for my vocation in this place, because that's serving the Lord. It's not serving him. It's my vocation to the Lord. He's at the center of my triangle. Christ is at the center. So I'm sacrificing my own vindictiveness. I'm choosing to stick with this and I will be there physically present to do my job the best of my ability. And I will not lash out physically in a harmful way to anybody. And I won't um, try to steal physically from the place because I deserve this. I'm going to respect that place with my physical well-being and the physical well-being of those around me. So all pieces are playing in the um, respect there um, and trusting that the Lord will see me through it. If it gets to the point where I cannot follow my vocation and calling to the Lord and I'm not keeping him at the center of my triangle because of the hostility of this individual where it's causing me physical harm or I'm getting sick because I'm so worried about it, then I may say, Lord, you clearly have another vocation that I'm not seeing. Show me. And it's time for me to change and follow where you're leading because this is not healthy for me. It's not respecting the temple of my body that you've given to me and it's harming my spouse. It's harming my children. And so uh, I've got to readjust my triangle where that person is going to shrink down and kind of triangle I have with that person. It's going to be a smaller triangle now instead of the bigger one that, that it was. Uh, and I will still care for it. I will still respect that person, but that relationship is going to drop way down uh, to a small triangle. 
-hmm. and I'll move on to another one. So on the same thing, in the context of children, you're teaching your children to apply that in their relationships with one another and I suppose church members that mm -hmm. they need to think of be brought back to the awareness of the priorities, but also how they interact. Absolutely. And, and children in the home, you're teaching them that all the time and their relationship with kids at school. Um, it's not just about you when you go to school. You are going there not just for what you get from it. You're there to be a witness for Christ and to care for those kids around you and sacrifice your own comfort sometimes for the good of theirs. Give that kid the first place in line. Let that kid have the toy that you want to play with. Um, whatever. Um, that's self-sacrifice. Um, and also choosing that I'm going to love this person even if they are dressing different from me or if they're struggling with their identity. Even if they are choosing to identify as the other sex, I'm choosing still to love them. I may not like that. I may not agree with it, but I love that person as a creature of God, and I'm learning that I will choose to care for them and be kind to them, even when I don't want to. That's huge. Kids that are in public school, the parents ask, should we go to a different school? I said, depends on what you're doing with them at home and the support system they have around them at church and with fellow Christians. If you've got a strong support system with Christ on top, you as parents caring for that child, grandparents, relatives that are praying for them, encouraging them, and some fellow Christians from the church family that are supporting them, then they're prepared with what they need to be a witness out there in the world, even at school, and you're preparing them for real life. Why take them out of that now? Are you going to take them out of the world when they're adults on their own and they've left you? You can't. They got to live in the world. So you train them in whatever environment, even in that public school, to keep Christ on top, keep my relationships in order, and then have enough love of Christ to sacrifice and choose to love that other person who's different from me and do it unconditionally. Um, no condition on it. I don't care if they are the devil incarnate in the way they behave sometimes. The devil can't touch me. Neither can they. And with his help, with God's help, I'm going to overcome and say, get behind me, Satan. You can't take away my faith, but I'm going to witness to this person. And I'm going to overcome you, the Satan, by loving this person with the love of Christ. And I will be kind to that person. And I will reach out my hand and shake their hand. And if they're crying and I see them hurting, I may go up and try to comfort them and console them, even though they're different from me, even though they've been offended by someone who was supposedly a Christian who was blasting them and yelling how terrible and awful they are that's not my kind of christianity and i'm going to be a christ who cares even for that hurting person even then so uh, and it strikes me even within the church setting um mm -hmm. getting people to drawing people back to the mm -hmm. to the priorities and the paradigm even you know because sometimes church battles can be the all the time all the time oh yeah that's where it's it's served me well to be a parish pastor for the past 33 years to show that these concepts i'm sharing are not just ethereal conceptual they're reality and they work all the time and you follow matthew 18 um go to that person one-on-one -on -one, um first between the two of you and you better be working on your triangle and so i say remember your triangle as you're meeting with that person one-on-one -on -one. am i sacrificing myself going in with this attitude, I'm willing to sacrifice for the good of this relationship. Am I choosing to love this person even when they let me down, even when they failed? And am I willing to forgive as Christ has forgiven me, who's at the center of my triangle? And can I then live in proximity to this person and sit next to him in church, share a meal together at the potluck, whatever it is? Um, if I can't do that, then we've got to work on this triangle and come back. And if we can't do it one-on-one, -on -one, 
All right, then um, let's bring in another member of the family we respect, another Christian we respect, maybe the pastor, maybe my supervisor in the, the school, whatever, and bring that person in. And we talk about it with their intervention to help us rebuild our triangle relationship. And ultimately, hopefully it doesn't get to the point, but if it has to go before the church, we say, we're all in this now because they can't get it resolved on their own. We're all going to help them be accountable of giving up on their own selfishness, choosing to love and caring in the flesh for one another. So we're all going to help and pray for them and encourage them to try to bring them back. True church discipline, the way it's supposed to be practiced, is living out the triangle at every level and helping those who are in conflict to get back to building a, a proper triangle with the forgiveness mm. of Christ in the middle. So it wraps around the church discipline too. It works in that regard very well. well great. Well, as we start to conclude our time, um, a couple of final questions. Um, I, I thought healthy, you know, Christ-centered <laughs> marriages are one of the most powerful witnesses. Uh, I, I've, I've, I've thought that maybe the most tangible expression of the Godhead is a healthy, godly marriage with Christ at the center. It's, it's a tangible expression. Maybe talk about that, or what are your thoughts on that? Is, is there something unique or dynamic about a marriage relationship that's really Christ-centered in terms of reaching the community and being a, a testimony? Absolutely. That's why my book is called Handing Out Life. That's what it's all about. Handing out life to those who don't yet know Christ and having that open hand of welcome to others who are beyond the reach of Christ's love at this point. But you want to welcome them into that love it starts with a strong marriage relationship. I go back to the Ephesians 5, 31, 32. Man will leave his mother and father, hold fast to his wife to become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. I'm talking about Christ and his bride. This is about the gospel. The mystery is not um, that, that uh, a husband and wife can love each other. That is powerful. But the mystery is that Jesus loves us that way perfectly. It's a mystery that goes beyond our comprehension. How can Jesus love me that much? That he was willing to sacrifice his place in heaven with the Father to come to earth, choose to love us even um, through the suffering and sorrow and evil of a broken world, and giving his life in flesh for us. That picture of perfect marriage love that Jesus has, it follows the triangle. He left his place in heaven, chose to love us, even to the point of death on the cross and rising from the dead. So he lived out perfect triangle love for us. And some would say, well, but he didn't have sex with the world. What do you mean? Because that not that trying about sex? No, I didn't say it was just about sex. It's that intimate openness of I care physically for the well-being of that. What deeper intimacy is than someone who died in our place and went through hell in our place and died the death that we deserve? That's true love, that he became one with us in the flesh. But he rose in the flesh to give us life in the flesh. And now marriages reflect that in that they are self-sacrificing. I can leave my comfort zone to go for the other. They are unconditional in their commitment. I'll go through anything, even when you mock me and hate me and crucify me. And I care for the well-being of the physical nature of the other person where sexuality is an expression of my total openness to you and giving you everything I can so that you can have the love of Christ. That picture then is what couples can show to the world. And when the world says, why do you love your wife that way? Because Christ did it for me first. How can you put up with that kind of garbage that she gives you? Because Christ does it with me every day. He forgives me again and again. And that's just incredible. And, um, why do you love that um, spouse of yours, that husband of yours, when um, he's an invalid and he can't even touch you? You know, where's your physical love there? 
I know he would give everything for me. And I sit with him and I hold his hand and just the squeeze of his hand is enough love for me to know he loves me still. And uh, that's that intimacy that's there. And that is such a beautiful picture for the world to see of that kind of love that is reflecting Christ and his love for us. And when you have that picture of Christ lived out in marriages, it is a witness for the world to see in a beautiful way. That's why I say the prioritization of thumbs up to Christ first, but then spouse next, because then it can be a witness to the children in my own home, to my parents, to my family. And then when that's in order, I get that witness to my congregational family, a pastor who's living it himself before he even speaks a word from the pulpit. The congregation will say, hey, that pastor really loves his wife and kids the way Christ does. That's a beautiful picture of the gospel in the flesh. Wow. And then when I'm speaking, it backs up when I'm living. And then I can reach out to the world. And also I, as a pastor, when I take seriously that I'm reaching out to the community around me and having that pinky relationship with people in the world and I'm living it, the congregation says he's serious about this thing of we are to be witnessing to the world around us. It's not just about us. And so I need to be reaching out to the world, too, with that love of Christ in all of my relationships with the community around me. Uh, so it's that handing out life that plays out. I, I say that a strong and healthy marriage is, and household living by that marriage principle is the greatest evangelistic resource we have for reaching the world. Seen a lot of programs through the years, Kennedy evangelism, uh, dialogue evangelism, whatever you want to call it, where have you come to the point in your life where you know for certain if you were to die, you would go to heaven, you know, all the questions you can ask. The best lead in is your integrity in living the relationships with Christ and having a strong triangle first, and then letting people see that and, and tell them why you live that way and how that works for you. So instead of me judging the other person, it's letting my life be a witness to that person. And they ask, how can that be? Where I, that's what I did with the Chamber of Commerce meetings when I go and speak to them or other public places I've spoken, Rotary Club, a group of lawyers I went and spoke to and all those different settings. I was invited in because the people said, you know, this seems to work in a way that is not just for you church people, but it can work for us too. How's it work? And I say, here's what I do in my own life, my own household, with my own family. And it works and plays out. Give it a chance. I dare you to give it a try. Mm. Well, I, I wonder if we have too small a vision for marriage. For yeah, marriage. Absolutely. absolutely. And if people really understood what it was all about, they'd take their own responsibility more seriously as a father and as a mother. And uh, whereas I think we've kind of maybe dumbed it down to... <laughs> ordinary Absolutely. details and not really shown the grandeur and the calling God has placed on us as yeah. families. Oh, I say if we get marriage figured out and live it the way it's supposed to be, the way God intended, it's the revitalization, revitalization of our congregations. It's the revitalization of the Christian church in America and the kingdom of God on earth. Um, we want to see a new reformation movement to change the world. We've got the word and we know what it says we it's disseminated throughout the world let's use that word and what's at the heart of that word i go back to that passage that i say father said it at creation son said it when he was here holy spirit reinforced it man will leave his mother and father hold fast to his wife to become one flesh you practice that in every aspect of your life in personal life congregational life work life everywhere 
where you go and self-sacrifice, choose to love, be a uh, incarnational witness, caring in the flesh. If we do that and take it seriously and have the courage to let the spirit do it through us, it's going to impact our world. It will, because it's Christ being freed to do what he wants to do for his love to become visible for the world to see and receive. And we will have to um, fight to keep from um, people coming to want to know more about it. I believe it 100%. Um, and it's just being what we are. They won't want to come to church, maybe, but we can be living it in a world where the church will go to them and the church will be what it's supposed to be, more than just what's inside some four walls, but a living, breathing entity that reaches out into the world beyond itself, which is what we talk about raising up the home to be the center of our ministry. And the church is supporting that because then those homes that are living out the faith every day are the witness front line that are touching the neighbor, the coworker, the soccer player next door on my team. Every one of those people we encounter every moment of every day with that sacrificial, unconditional, incarnational love of Christ. Uh, you'll get sick of me saying that maybe, but if we can go back and keep it that simple, it'll change everything. I guarantee you. Yeah, I've thought that I, I think the felt need in the world today is relationships or lack thereof, uh, loneliness, mm -hmm. brokenness, dysfunction. And mm -hmm. it strikes me that the church, if we can reach engage people at that level, and I think maybe that's the challenge is how do we rethink how we can actually bring relational health and healing into the community, whether through programs or obviously just our witness, but um, I think less programs and more just building it in your own home and then living it where you are. If we spend a lot of time trying to figure out a new book, read the next textbook, get the next binder, put it on my shelf, I'll try to work on that. We're spending so much time at seminars and in classes. The church is really good at, oh, another workshop that'll show me how to do it. Get out of the workshop and get out there and live it and live it in your daily interactions with your neighbors, your friends, your acquaintances, your own family. Start at the top with your own household and then work on your work associates, those that are close by. You don't have to go looking for those people that need Christ. They're right around you. They're at your kitchen table. And so focus on those that God gives you the opportunity to reach and build those relationships where I confess to you, I'm not loving you like I should. That vulnerability, sacrificing my pride. And I'm going to love you anyway, and please forgive me, and I'm asking you to give me a chance to love you. Start with that, with all the people close at hand, and it'll grow from there. It will. Oh, great. Well, thank you, Todd, uh, for your time, and uh, this has just been really great. Um, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, uh, get more information on the center and your work, uh, where can they go? They can go to the website for Concordia Center for the Family. Um, just search that and it'll pop up. Um, just have a website there. Um, that's one way we're reworking our, a lot of stuff in flux right now with that organization. Um, in, in the months ahead, there's some big things in the works for some change there. Um, but that's where I would say anyone who wants to reach me directly, that's probably the simplest way right now. And I can be a resource point for that right now. Um, my own personal um, Gmail you can use to reach out to me if they would want to. Uh, that's just tabierman at gmail.com. I'll go ahead and say it here. I'm not afraid. I share it with people in the community all the time. Um, but tabierman, B-I-E-R-M-A-N-N -N, at gmail.com. And uh, with that, it 
send me a quick email and I'll respond and steer you in a direction of resources that I'm aware of. Um, this Concordia Center for the Family, that would be a good resource to just turn to as a, a place that can help out for the um, resources that we're going to be providing more and more. Um, it's getting more organized all the time. Um, this Concordia Center for the Family, where we're going to standardize an intake process. We're going to put on our website uh, a little self-evaluation form you can put in there just for a few minutes so that it can tell us where you're at and what your needs are. And then we can have the right person be in touch with you to help you get to where you need for your next steps. Watch for that. It's in the works, as I said, in a building process, but it's coming in the next six months here is what I would envision. We're hopeful to receive a a major grant from the Lilly Foundation. They pretty much said it's coming uh, the end of this calendar year, and that's going to help kick off a huge number of programs uh, that we're going to be introducing in 2024. So, okay, well, great. Well, any final thoughts you want to leave our listeners with? Um, I would say keep it simple and go back to Christ and live with those two illustrations from your hand that's right in front of your face. You don't have to go to another workshop or open another book or get another binder summarized in my book but the whole essence of the book is get your priorities straight thumbs up to christ put him first let him love you care for your spouse your children and your family your church family and then reach out to the world with the open hand of christ and follow the principle of jesus kind of love that's self-sacrificing unconditional and cares in the flesh incarnationally for others with his forgiveness rebuilding when that triangle suffers those two illustrations with the hands in front of you can change the world um, because they're all about Christ. Thanks again, Todd, for being with us. My pleasure. And God bless you as you live for him. Thumbs up.